Welcome everyone to the second episode of New Gen Mindset Podcast. I'm here with uh, Nick Tartaglia. I'm Dan Quazelle. Uh, we hope you guys really enjoyed our first episode. We're going to jump right into a topic right now that has been trending for quite some time, right Nick? Yeah, exactly. So um, now that we're looking at this whole uh, crisis that came about because of the coronavirus, which is now putting, uh, which is making us look a little bit more into the whole debt crisis that's occurring because it's kind of starting to get triggered. People start talking about mortgages and debt problems because there's no cash flow coming in. So when there's no cash flow coming in, debt liabilities cannot be well paid. So now your people are back on the whole subject of crypto asset classes. And so this is why we have this guest today. Yeah, and I think it's really important to uh, highlight the fact that this particular asset class has been getting a lot of negativity around it. And a lot of people are unfortunately are reluctant to actually try to understand it. And um, what we're trying to do here as well is just help people understand how important this actually is moving forward. Um, Because if you don't actually adopt sort of the thinking, the understanding, even just a very holistic view of what Bitcoin and blockchain is, um, you're going to be left behind. Uh, So just, can I just, I just want to make a point on that. So you may like, like I myself may not necessarily have been a buyer right now because I'm focused on other asset classes, but as an investor, your job is to pay attention to different asset classes, especially asset classes that continue to grow, that stay in the market, and that seem to create a hedge against other problems, especially when it's not the, 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 the sector and the asset class is not regressing. It's developing and it's growing. And as we're going to see today, we're about to get a new fund list in Canada. So if you want to be an investor, you have to keep your eyes open and your ears open to the different options you have out there. Because if you don't, then you can't hedge your variety of plays. And the best way to hedge is to be aware of everything that's going on. So whether you believe it or not, you want to buy it or you don't want to buy it, you hate Bitcoin, you love Bitcoin, you want to pay attention to it because it's still part of an ecosystem and a technology that people talk about and it's a future and, and it's a hedge and there's, you know, you, you should care for that value, not because you want to buy it. Right. And I think that touches based on sort of the one thing that many people just don't quite fundamentally understand and that's inflation, right? When people understand that inflation is the biggest wealth killer to your net worth, um, it starts, you you start realizing how important it is to beat investments that are not only just GICs paying you like 1%, right? We know that it's, it's a killer. It's a killer to those who don't want to move with the economy. Exactly. Exactly. If you move with the economy, that's when you lose all value. Exactly. And, and, and to put it in simple terms, inflation just simply means you're purchasing power, right? And as it we're going to see, exactly. and as we're going to see now, however, um, because there's so much money in the economy that's being pumped in, in terms of debt, the inflation power or the purchasing power for consumers is actually going to diminish significantly. Yeah. So you're going to have the growth of GDP. Uh, sorry, not a growth, definitely not a growth. You're going to see de- significant decrease in the GDP extremely fast for, well, we, we, we can't put an exact number out there, but we see for a couple months coming. Right. So it, yeah. it, it, it's fair to say though, that after the jobless numbers come out this week on Friday in the U S Canada will kind of follow suit. And um, absolutely. We don't want to scare anybody, but this is definitely an interesting time. Um, yeah. you know, unemployment numbers are going to shock a lot of people. Um, we will recover from this for sure. But um, in terms of managing sort of wealth creation for your portfolios, it's good to and understand. wealth sustainability. Exactly. And wealth sustainability, it's very good to understand um, why Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies on the blockchain are probably the best bet. So we got an interview coming up. He is the president and CEO of Canada's first ever Bitcoin fund. Uh, his name is Fred Pye, uh, born in Montreal. And uh, we're going to get right to that right now. So enjoy. He obtained a master's in business administration from Concordia University here in Montreal and is a member of the board of Anglican Funds and the West Island Youth Residence. He was also the Senior Vice President, National Sales Manager of Fidelity Investments Canada, uh, which saw the assets grow from 80 million to over 7.5 billion 
and assets under management during his tenure. Uh, and he also managed private client portfolios with Landry Investment Management, various other investment dealers. Uh, and then prior to this was the founder, president, and chief executive officer of, I'm sorry if I mispronounce this here, but Ar Ar Argenta Management and Research Corporation. And now he's on a mission to launch Canada's first ever Bitcoin fund right now. Everybody, please give a warm welcome to Frederick Pai, the president and chief executive officer of 3IQ. Fred, welcome to the New Gen Mindset Podcast. Hey, thanks for having me, Dan. I think Nick is sitting there on a very squeaky chair. <laughs> oh, you hear that? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to fix that right now. <laughs> yeah, good to be here, Dan. Thanks for having me. Good to see you, Nick. Nice awesome. to meet you. <laughs> okay, so uh, basically, to start this off, we wanted to get more to understanding you before we get into the specifics of your new fund that's about to get listed and to the specifics of the details of it. We just wanted to get more of an understanding of who you were as an individual and as an investor and how you kind of built your career before you got to this point. So the first thing I want to ask you, because everyone has to start somewhere, how did you exactly get into the investment world and just start thinking about investing and all that stuff? Yeah, I've been, uh, that, that is, uh, I know you're going to edit this, so, <laughs> so we can talk about I'm that. I'm changing it. I'm changing that. I'm changing the position. There you go. Yeah, because that's very, it's very loud. Uh, <laughs> do you hear that, Dan, as well? Or is it just Yeah, me? we hear it. Yeah, okay. Well, hear it. okay see, see, I have, okay, good. That's why I don't hear very well with these on. That's why. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Okay. So good question, Nick. I mean, uh, it clearly, you know, I've been around the investment industry for over 40 years and uh, long before most of the people around here were all born that listened to us, uh, you know, realized that there was a big gold rush in the late seventies. And uh, my, uh, you know, my, uh, my best friend's father was president and CEO of a company called Guardian Trust Company. And people used to line up out in the streets outside of Guardian Trust Company on Saint-Jacques Road in Montreal and in Toronto. And they would line up with cases of ca uh, suitcases full of cash to come in and buy gold. And uh, they would sit there and they'd come into the bank and they'd come into my office and I'd take their suitcase and run hundreds of thousands of dollars through, uh, through these counting machines. And then they'd take their suit pockets and put kilos of gold in their suit pockets and then walk out. And uh, we used to hire uh, security guards to keep people in line. So once they were in line, we had armed guards protecting them, their suitcases and cash. But the criminals would follow the people and watch them come into the bank and leave the bank. And then they'd rob them for their gold. When they left. It was too much of a perfect setup. Yeah. So uh, we had these gold certificates, which was actually a paper replication that said, okay, here's your gold bar. Here's the serial number on your gold bar. That's going into the vault. You have this paper that represents, you know, that you own uh, these shares uh, that are this gold. And in 1983, he came to me and he said, hey, Fred, we should list these goals on the stock exchange because stockbrokers can't buy gold for their clients. So he says, uh, we should list these, these gold certificates on the Montreal Stock Exchange. So in 1983, we, you know, we uh, spent three years working with the Quebec Securities Commission at the time. And they said, boy, we don't want to list gold. I mean, gold is volatile. It's speculative. It's, uh, it's non-traditional custodians and it's used for criminal purposes. Um, you know, why would we ever list gold? And we said, well, it's a potential store of wealth for the inflation that we're going through here in the 70s. And uh, uh, sure enough, after three years of fighting, we actually got to list gold, silver and platinum certificates on the Montreal Stock Exchange. And in our uh, roadshow, we, we have a picture of me on the Montreal Gazette in 1986, uh, you know, holding up this, 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 this certificate of uh, platinum. And, uh, you know, following that, uh, you know, my entire career was built on doing things that were out of the box. Uh, uh, after Guardian Trust got sold to Les Cooperants, um, I joined uh, Lévesque Bobien Geoffrion, or sorry, at the time, Geoffrion, sorry, Lévesque Bobien uh, at the time, because Canada was going through a free trade agreement with the United States. And so, 
uh, I wanted to work the institutional desk and teach U.S. investors about Canadian companies. And so I went down to uh, uh, my first territory was New York and Boston. And uh, we have stories of me hanging around New York and not realizing there was a midtown and a downtown and that it took an hour to get in between each meeting after trying to book all my meetings 30 minutes apart and realized that I was seriously screwed because I had to cancel half the meetings and I had to figure out which was downtown and what was midtown. And, uh, you know, you know, we've got hundreds of funny stories about, you know, me being 27 years old and running around New York. Uh, then uh, in 1987, we had the big stock market crash and uh, uh, I was working for a company called Pembroke Management, which is by far one of the most, uh, you know, amazing small cap managers. And they were sitting on a 15 year track record that was mind blowing. Ian Aiken and at the time it was Ian Sutar, uh, you know, Scott, um, uh, Ian and Scott and a bunch of the guys. And now it's Ian Aiken and Jeff and a bunch of great portfolio managers still running an amazing business. But the 87 crash just took uh, the wind out of the sails of uh, of uh, all small cap managers. And uh, in 1988, uh, Fidelity Investments was uh, 89. Fidelity Investments had set up in Canada in 86 and uh, hadn't raised anything. They had raised $80 million and spent $30 million doing it by 1989. And uh, John Simpson said, uh, you know, we'd like you to come and run Quebec and uh, uh, see what we can do with Fidelity. And uh, uh, to this day, Fidelity's largest market share in the world is the province of Quebec. At least wow. uh, uh, one out of, you know, I think one out of every four Quebecers that owns a mutual fund owns at least one Fidelity Investments mutual fund. I mean, the number was staggering. So, uh, yeah, and, then, and we ran the rest of the country and, and uh, the rest was history. But at Fidelity, we did a couple of things, uh, and, and number one was, uh, you know, introduced quantitative money management. A guy by the name of Brad Lewis was running the very first quant fund, and he used oh, to take us yeah. three. He used to take us three days to do uh, simulations on, uh, uh, you know, the computers were so slow that if we wanted yeah. to change one of the characteristics of our our algorithm, it would take three days to uh, of computing power and. We'd sit there with a beer afterwards and go, oh, we should have changed that. You know, so. <laughs> and you would have such a delay in terms of each little variable. So it was a long yeah. project, I'm sure. Yeah. So, that, so that's a, yeah, go ahead. That went into 1990 when uh, we had the very first desert storm when uh, the U.S. Uh, announced that uh, the U.S. announced that uh, they were going to go into Iraq and, and, uh, uh, you know, kick uh, kick the Iraqis out of uh, Kuwait, and um, and uh, Brad Lewis was a U.S. Uh, the portfolio manager of the fund was a U.S. Air Force Army pilot, and he uh, he was standing in a big crowd of 500 people, and he goes, "This is the first no-brainer investment opportunity ever in the history of the world." And the guys are going, "What are you talking about?" It says. Well, the U.S. has already told you what day they're going to war and, and that they're going to go in and, 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 and kick Iraq out of Kuwait. And uh, one guy goes, well, what happens if, uh, what happens if uh, the U.S., uh, you know, one of their fighter jets meets a whole bunch of, you know, the new Russian MiGs, uh, you know, in the air and you get into a big air fight? And he, uh, he takes his glasses and he looks at the guy and he says, in the U.S., we would consider that a target-rich opportunity. <laughs> he says, you don't understand the technology. The minute the Iraqis start a jet, we know where it is on the ground and it'll be blown up before it even gets to the runway. So he says, you know, he says, this war will be over in 48 hours. And sure enough, it was in the stock market. Can, you know, for, 
proceeded to rise 40% in a very short period of time. And his fund skyrocketed and everybody goes, well, this quantitative asset management, uh, this quant models is really very good. It really works well. So that's when that was one of those times that you realize that being lucky is way better than being smart in this industry. So uh, and I think that's a lesson a lot of people have to learn right now is uh, the bear market of 89.90 going into Desert Storm was, was pretty tragic, but that was a true uh, V recovery. Um, having said that, you know, there's... Uh, uh, we Fidelity then went on to introduce really international investing into Canada. And uh, it was also, you know, picked up with CI. We raised the single largest Southeast Asian fund in the world at two and a half billion dollars. And we got to travel the world. It was an amazing experience and probably one of the best organizations ever in the world, Fidelity Investments, as they continue today. And Abigail Johnson, who is the CEO and probably one of the richest women in the world, uh, she runs Fidelity now, so she was the phone analyst, the uh, uh, the phone analyst and cable analyst back in the the uh, early late '80s, early '90s. These were the VHS days, right? Uh, well, this was cable. This was the original days of Videotron and oh, wow. uh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. CF, CF Cable, CF Cable TV, and uh, so all the original cable companies. So she knew all of them, and then the uh, we still had the shoe phones. And, uh, <laughs> uh, but we were the first to actually carry something called a BlackBerry, which was a pager. And uh, um, everybody goes, why would you use this stupid pager when you could pick up your shoe phone and call them, you know, why would you use this pager? And it wasn't until BlackBerry stuck a pager, a phone on their pager that everybody went, Oh, now it's a phone. Oh, and I got this text thing that I can actually send a text one. Now you've never seen kids don't use the phone anymore. They only text. So, so Blackberry's Blackberry's full success was sticking a phone on their text messaging machine, which uh, is kind of funny. And uh, so, um, you know, uh, we went from there and Argentum uh, was the very first quantitative money management shop. And that was the first time I fought the OSC. Um, uh, I applied to have the very first long short mutual fund ever in Canada. And that cost us a uh, million dollars a year or a million dollars. And we won. And uh, Argentum became the fastest growing mutual fund company ever uh, out of the gate. Uh, and then uh, the case de depot and the government put us out of business uh, oh, wow. when they started changing their tax platforms on funding deferred sales charge made, made to financial advisors. So uh, we sold that company in 2001. Um, then we went through some health issues. I had a triple bypass. I had a stroke. Uh, I had to put all the pieces back together again and uh, uh, came back fighting. And, came back uh, conquering with a new accomplishment. Yeah, so um, uh, meeting Jean-Luc Landry, who is really a very an amazing pioneer in the investment industry in Canada, we started just running quantitative momentum portfolios. And uh, uh, that's what led to um, us running. I was running a multi-asset momentum portfolio for uh, uh, Horizons ETFs. And... Uh, the people at Horizons were very good friends. Howard Atkinson, who's now our chairman, um, he was he had left, and uh, I went to Steve and I said, "I want to put Bitcoin in my uh, my multi-asset momentum ETF." He goes, "Well, what's Bitcoin?" And you're fired. <laughs> so that's how, long a ago, how, long, how long ago was this? That was 2014. This is yeah, recent. Yeah, yeah. So, so 2014. And I, I realized that even if I wanted to buy Bitcoin into my ETF, I, I wouldn't be able to buy it. So there was no way to do that. And then that's when I came up with this crazy idea of putting, creating a, a Bitcoin fund, uh, you know, to put in retirement accounts and investment funds and everything else. And fast forward uh, to today, we are the about to become the first listed major exchange listed Bitcoin fund in the world. So wow. pretty excited. That's very good. Good job. In, in the middle of probably a once in a century event, right? <laughs> which is, yeah. which is a historic 
you know, event by all means, and you guys are going out with it in the next few it's weeks, definitely, right? It's definitely a catalyst for the sector. It, it'll be a, it'll be a catalyst. We'll uh, because we're regulated and it's a it's approved and we're listed on a major exchange. The Toronto Stock Exchange has listing co agreements with other exchanges in the world. So we're going to take this fund into Gibraltar in uh, May. We like to put it in Switzerland, and we're going to try. Love to do Mumbai. Get the first investment fund in India. Um, we'll put it in Dubai. We'll try to get into London as soon as we can. Singapore, Hong Kong, and uh, ultimately the United States. And uh, by that time, we hope we're the biggest Bitcoin fund in the world, all out of uh, Montreal and Toronto. Is there um, is there a target to the size of the portfolio you're trying to reach in terms of uh, capital? No, I mean, put it this way, GBTC out of the U.S., which is a, a virtually a non-regulated, uh, you know, fund on an unregulated exchange, uh, uh, and I use the word regulated loosely, um, you know, it's a, it's a great product and clocks in at about $2.5 So um, if that's our first target, let's get bigger than them, then that's our first target. Oh, Nice. So since we're on the whole um, portfolio now about your new fund that you're about to list, um, since people obviously, that's a factor if you're going to be able to get into your RSPs, your TFSAs, there's, um, as a retail investor, if I'm going to buy into the fund, is there is there going to be like an MER fee? Uh, how are you going to rebalance portfolio? What type of asset funds or what type of asset currencies are you going to hold? Will it be purely crypto also? No, this is a Bitcoin fund. It's okay, so it's purely the okay. Bitcoin fund. It'll own okay, as okay. much Bitcoin as we can cram into that little package, and uh, it'll trade with the price of Bitcoin plus or minus a premium or a discount. Um, okay, and so there it, won't be there won't be necessarily like a uh, management fee then associated with the fund. No, there's or, a management fee. Okay, it's a, uh, to you basically at one point nine five percent management okay. fee. And a lot of people say, well, how did you come up with that number? And you say, well. You know, we're pretty smart guys. We have MBAs, marketing degrees, and GBT sees it too. So let's go in at 195. <laughs> <laughs> just, just, Fair enough, just, but comparable. Just, yeah. just, just so our listeners know that, that there's actually already a Bitcoin fund listed on the New York Stock Exchange, right? You're no, there's, there is not a Bitcoin fund listed on the New York Stock Exchange. It's on the over-the-counter OTC, OTC, OTC. Martins in the, in the United States. A very okay. big difference. They're pension funds. Uh, most broker dealers cannot put uh, mutual funds cannot put GBTC into a portfolio. So, so there's a huge difference between what we're doing and what they're doing. So, okay. interesting. Perfect. And you know what's uh, you know what's cool is that uh, this is all happening at the same time with the the coronavirus. And there's just a the other day I had shown uh, Dan. It was a Forbes article that was talking about how um, the uh, was it the House of Representatives are trying to draft a bill to pass that would allow trillions of stimulus dollars to be uh, sent directly to individuals, which I feel again, but this is would be using the Ethereum the blockchain system. But I feel in general, that's a nice catalyst for the sector in general. Yeah, well, um, first of all, that got pulled about 45 minutes after they announced oh, that. Oh, yeah, were, already. Wow. They were, they were, yeah, about 45 minutes after. The reality <laughs> is, is... Um, you know, there's a couple of things that people have to, to realize is that, um, um, that that money is going digital. That's, that's a yes or no question. So if people say, no, it's never going to go digital, then you don't even, you just drop the conversation there. Now, um, people that say, well, you know, people don't use Bitcoin to buy anything. And the reason is very simple. You have to be really stupid to use Bitcoin to buy stuff. Um, and I'll tell you how stupid I was. I mean, I've got more $4,000 t-shirts and $2,000 toques, and I've spent more $80,000 dinners on using Bitcoin that I bought at $80 or a hundred bucks wow. and saying, here, here's nine Bineer for dinner. You know, well, that's today's $90,000. Yeah. <laughs> so crypto baller. <laughs> so if anybody once you realize the power that the Bitcoin network is the most powerful secure computer network in the world and is probably worth a gazillion dollars plus one. When people say, how do you come up with that number? And I said, well, the Bitcoin blockchain is nothing but an evolution of the internet. It's just the next operating protocol on the internet. 
Now, the very first operating protocol after you know, TCP IP was SMTP, which is also the simple mail transmission protocol, which is also known as email. Well, if you had to pay one ten thousandth of a dollar to send an email, would that have stopped you from sending a billion emails? The answer is no. So, and there are billions of emails sent every day and every day. So if you actually owned SMTP, you owned it, the email protocol, how much are you worth today? A gazillion dollars, right? So the protocol, the, uh, the secure value transfer protocol, which is using the internet to securely transfer ownership value, title, or money, okay, costs you one ten thousandth of the value of the, your transaction in Bitcoin to put that on the Bitcoin blockchain. So sometime in our lifetime, the Bitcoin blockchain should be worth gazillion plus one because secure movement of information of, uh, of money ownership title value is worth more than unsecured movement of information. And that's really how you have to take a long-term look at this and understand that you're actually owning a protocol. Now, one thing that we like to talk about when we talk about Bitcoin is yes, four years ago, there were 2000 some odd um, tokens. And the reality is there will be spe special tokens um, commodities of the future, like bandwidth, like computing power, uh, all of these kinds of commodities of the future will have their own tokens and their own blockchains to, to trade and to transfer. So but, you're talking about, just to refer to that, like you're talking about like individual ecosystems within different types of fiats or, uh, or corporate Different things. types of cryptos, yes. For, okay, yeah, okay. Exactly. So whether it's file storage or cloud computing, or anything. I mean, the stuff that we see is mind-blowing and it's, it's amazing. We wish we had an unlimited amount of money to invest in some of the great ideas that are out there. Um, have, having said that, none of this works if Bitcoin doesn't become uh, the major, you know, stepping stone to, uh, to the entire crypto world. And um, the best way to look at it is, is money will go digital, but it'll be digital Canadian dollars, digital US dollars, digital euros, digital Japanese yen, stuff that people can understand. And today it was worth a dollar and tomorrow it's worth a dollar. They don't care whether it's worth $3,000 and then $10,000, you know, four weeks from now. Um, so people will use whatever they're going to spend. It'll be digital Canadian dollars. And we own a company called... A uh, joint venture called Canada Stable Corp with Maven Net. So we actually own QCAD, um, a digital Canadian dollar we launched uh, about four three months ago, and you know we're you know we're going to be severe you know seriously planted in the digital currency world, and you know if the Canadian government wanted to, as we say, uh, helicopter money into people, we can give them a Newton wallet in Canada. Everybody can have a wallet and. Uh, you can, you know, you can transfer digital QCADs to everybody. We just need, we just need to do joint ventures with Canadian Tiger, Tim Hortons, Hudson Bay Company, and anybody else that uh, will take digital QCADs because it's a lot easier to say, "Bing, here's your, here's your digital currency," as opposed to, well, "Let me try and set this up on PayPal or Interact and get a code and." Uh, you know, transfer it over. So money's going digital and yeah. we're just, we're a part of all, all pieces of that transaction. So yeah. being on that top, yeah, go down, go ahead. Dan, were you saying something? Yeah, yeah, sorry, sorry. I was, I was on mute there for a second, yeah. that's okay. Um, Fred, you brought up an interesting point about gold and sort of the speculative nature and something really caught my attention that I've been hearing and I think Nick and I, and I'm sure you've been hearing about Bitcoin, right? Gold back in the 80s, when you were working in the, in the 80s, you said it was a bit speculative in nature, right? And it doesn't have, it's not backed by anything. We're seeing sort of a similar transition now with Bitcoin, right? So my question is, when you started this fund, did you know right away that there was some similar takeaways from the gold story at the time that you are bringing now to this fund? Yeah, I mean, a lot has to do with the scarcity of the asset, right? So, so gold has a growth rate of about 4% per year, okay? At 12.5 Bitcoin every 10 minutes, 
the growth of Bitcoin is 4% per year. Um, in May, we have a halving where the growth of Bitcoin is only 2% per year. So therefore, Bitcoin will be twice as, um, uh, shall we say, scarce as gold is. And, but here's the reality, and I want people to really understand this. It's back in, in the newspaper article in the Montreal Gazette back in 1986, I was actually was not holding a gold cert. I was holding a platinum certificate. Because I said platinum is going to overtake, you know, uh, overtake gold as a store of wealth. Well, why would I say that? Well, it was more scarce. It um, had greater industrial uses. It was mined in different places around the world and more geographically dispersed. And it was more scarce. And the price was, you know, uh, significantly greater than gold at the time. So I said, you know, platinum will overtake gold as a store of wealth. And uh, it wasn't for decades later when somebody reminded me that I made that prediction. And I realized the problem is there was $7 trillion of gold in central banks already around the world. And by, ta by the time you have uh, $7 trillion of gold, there isn't $7 trillion of platinum to, to get. So until Bitcoin gets to $500,000 a coin, where is whatever, $10 trillion, um, it'll be too big to displace and it'll be too tough. Again, Warren Buffett can afford to pay a million dollars a Bitcoin. Uh, most of the people I know can't, right? Most sovereign wealth funds don't care. If they need to buy 10 Bitcoin, they'll buy $10 million of Bitcoin. Who cares? Yeah. Um, I mean, he's sitting, he's sitting on $130 billion of cash. So he's... he's, he's exactly. A 1% position is $10 billion. Like, forget <laughs> it. So, so you know, so they'll, they, can, they can figure that out later. You know, they can figure that out later. But, uh, you know, my prediction is the goal of uh, Bitcoin will be significantly bigger than any of the other digital assets and it you know bitcoin which is very cool has a lot of the characteristics of gold but many of the characteristics that are you know way better than gold i mean you you take a look at the properties of, of gold and how bitcoin improves on it well uh, the downside of gold is its portability right it's you, you know you want to you know what we did a 1.1 billion dollar bitcoin transaction in december in 12 minutes at a cost of 80 cents like wow. what the fuck like <laughs> uh, no, it's okay don't worry about it <laughs> <laughs> like i mean what do you have to do to move 1.1 billion dollars of gold and how's that, what's that going to look like or take you know it's just not going to happen um divisibility you know you can break gold uh, only down so small, whereas Bitcoin you can you know you know put down into whatever twelve digits, um, and verifiability, like gold bars will have a regulated you know um, serial number. Bitcoin serial number is on a blockchain that's never been hacked, never been um, displaced, never had a false transaction done on it. I mean it's bulletproof, so. You're sitting there going, Bitcoin is everything like gold, but better. And it's backed by the most powerful secure computer network in the world, which takes 4% of the world's electricity every day to secure it and to power it. I mean, that's mind-blowing how powerful it is. And, and people that don't understand it uh, have just chosen not to learn about it. And I saw, I was, uh, I just wanted to make a reference to, I saw that on top of the security aspect, I saw that. For your fund specifically, you're going to be securing in a deep cold storage. Yeah, I heard you had mentioned um, Gemini. Yeah, so you know, you know, this podcast is going out once we've gone final. So uh, there, there's certain things I can talk okay. about. But it's but you know when we talk about it, um, the fund. You know, we're not selling the fund right now. What we're basically doing is directing you to an advisor that can get you a copy of the prospectus and all the information is there. But the answer is yes, it is deep cold storage at Gemini. Um, and what it means is it's not attached to the internet, so nobody can steal it. And, uh, you know, the protocols in place at Gemini 
are, shall we say, significantly more robust than at Quadriga. So, <laughs> so it's, you're like shots fired. <laughs> you're treating it almost Go like ahead. gold, as if gold was a physical asset. Gold, you you would store it as you know in a vault or in a bank or wherever. So you're treating it the same concept. Because in a day, you can steal everything through the internet. So you have to create that disconnect to protect mm-hmm. the asset class. And that's that's what you call cold storage on the internet. And um, in our in our public hearing against the OSC. Um, our lawyers who did an amazing job and, you know, we can do an entire podcast just on, on that case. But at one point in time, uh, the OSC said, well, it's, it, you know, cold storage of Bitcoin isn't like cold storage uh, of storing gold at the Royal Canadian Mint, you know, in, in, in Ottawa. And uh, the lawyer put up there and said, okay, well, in the last, uh, the Bitcoin blockchain has never been hacked. Yes, software on top of the blockchain has been hacked. Um, and that's just bad software protocols. Um, but he says, uh, here's the list of, you know, 22 sub-mod case instances that the, uh, the Royal Canadian Mint has been compromised or had gold stolen from them. So, so he just says, you know, it, it's, it's not infallible. So, you know, it wasn't a very good case, but our lawyers were brilliant uh, that hearing so go go down one of the other things too and i think the thing that drew you to bitcoin i find was pretty fascinating as well right fred so uh maybe you want to talk about that too right because we we, what we saw on i think it was march 12th so about two weeks ago on a monday was a portfolio manager's nightmare the stock market dropped about 2100 points um, and anybody that was trying to rebalance their portfolio, it was an absolute nightmare. So um, maybe you could tell the viewers and the listeners, like what, what really drew you to Bitcoin, right? At the end of the day. Yeah, well, those are completely different, different things. You know, I was uh, drawn to Bitcoin for a couple of reasons. Number one is I started a relationship with a company called ARK Invest, Kathy Wood, Chris Berniske at the time, and uh, a bunch of people out of New York. That do just, just on top of that, is she is she the one that makes that that made the um, I'm just trying to, she's the one that made that call on Tesla, I believe, for yeah. twelve thousand. Okay, is that her? That the investment fund? Yeah, I mean, is it is it them? She's okay, she's she's yeah, easily you know out of the you know brilliant you know very brilliant money managers I've known in my lifetime. Um, she ranks right up there as is one of the best ever. She's you know what she's a uh, um, you know, she's from my generation, maybe younger, clearly younger <laughs> than I am, but, uh, she's got a vision. She travels in the same kind of plane that I do, which means we're always, you know, five years or 10 years ahead of where, okay. where, where a lot of people are, you know, what sandbox people are playing in. And that's what I said, it's whether it's free trade or whether it was gold or whether it's Bitcoin or whether it was quantitative money management, like, you know, these are all just things that are going there. I had an organic food company too. I never got into that, (laughs) which was also 15 years too early. Uh, We were converting the whole island of PEI to organic, which was crazy. Anyways, um, (laughs) having said that, there's there's a lot of disruptive technologies, which is just a plane that I like to traveling and whether it's rocket ships, robots, 3D printing, um, you know, a- anything that's completely disruptive is where is the sandbox he plays in. And um, so I wanted to work with them to bring their product line into Canada and do some different things with 3AQ. Um, but then, you know, I got to meet Chris Berniski, uh, good, good, would have been 25 or 26 at the time easily one of the most brilliant guys I've, you know, young guys that I've met. And he wrote the book with Jack Tater, uh, you know, uh, Bitcoin and beyond. And uh, they became very good friends. And I just said, you know what, you know, I think we can win this and, 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 you know, get Bitcoin listed in Canada way before the United States. Uh, Jan Van Eck at Van Eck and Associates also who had filed for a Bitcoin ETF in the United States, I uh, agreed with me and he says, yeah, let's go. So he partnered up. He owns 10% of our company, 9.9% of our company and has been a great friend. 
Um, so it's been amazing, uh, the people that we dealt with and, and just talking Bitcoin with these guys back then was, was, was fantastic. The, the OGs, the original gangsters, gangsters of, the, yeah. of the, uh, of the, the Bitcoin world are great, uh, great, great. People. We were, we were, we were, I think that, I mean, you were like probably early high school years when Bitcoin just like was just being slightly talked about on the internet right i think right bitcoin bitcoin was founded i believe in 2009 right when the crisis during the financial crisis right yeah uh, yes there was a group of guys okay, so this was the end of our high school years then exactly and right. uh this is when we were just not familiar with any of that stuff but um i think the first ever bitcoin that was used as a currency was to buy pizza right yeah there's a, there's a bunch of college guys there. So yeah, there's um, a story 10, about that. 10,000 pizzas, uh, 10,000 Bitcoin to buy two pizzas. Yeah. Yes. That was the story. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> well, like 10,000 Canadian, you do the math, but it's a really expensive pizza. <laughs> so for, uh, I just wanted to like get into a little bit of catalyst for the sector in general. Like how important do you see corporate integration or, um, political integration from for the asset class in general because like you said before right if it's going to be the protocol in which we're going to start exchanging currencies that's what you're referring to in terms of the protocol correct yeah so well let, let's let's talk about this and i and i'm going to be very cognizant on being careful about wanting to be uh you know um uh i clearly am a bitcoin maximalist however i do see how there are specific use cases of different blockchains for different things. Like, um, but for example, Bitcoin's come a long way. Three years ago when it first hit 20,000, everybody said, oh, it's not scalable. Well, the Lightning Network has virtually taken care of that. It's now unlimitedly scalable. A lot of people said, well, you know, um, you know uh, it's too complicated to embed smart contracts or other projects like that on the Bitcoin blockchain. I just said, well, you know, last year liquid network came out, um, which was a very simple protocol in which to embed, you know, smart contracts on the Bitcoin blockchain. So when you take a look at other blockchains and you say, well, uh, you know, right now QCAD, the Canadian dollar, virtual Canadian dollar we have sits on the Ethereum blockchain, as you said, as a smart contract on, uh, as a, ERC-20 token, um, but we've got to take a very serious look at some of the other blockchains where, um, you know, we may want to embed our, our Canadian dollar on a different blockchain, which could include the most secure powerful network in the world, which is Bitcoin. Um, so, uh, you know, we're discussing with different blockchains, very, you know, various opportunities. There's a lot of big blockchains out there right now that are fighting for self space. Exactly what you're, you're, you're getting to is you've got to produce a use case for your blockchain. Like if you're XYZ number 72 blockchain, and you're saying, you know, I need, I need people to come here and buy my token. Well, they're only going to buy your token if you can create a user case that makes an awful lot of sense. And, uh, you know, and it has to be a blockchain. Do you do you see any any issue with like like normally when we use fiat, the fiat the value in the fact that it's not as volatile allows us to exchange money simpler without worrying about fluctuations in the ma in the money we're trying to transfer. Does volatility kind of is there a way that is there a time period where we'll, we'll see that Bitcoin or crypto in general won't be as volatile? Because like, like personally for me, if I'm going to, so when I'm thinking, if I'm going to send money to my friend or the case may be, I want to send, I want to buy Bitcoin. I want to transfer it over by the time he sells it, that volatility impact. That you're not going to do that. You're going to use QCAD. Okay. okay. So, okay. So that's how. Yeah. So yeah. QCAD, QCAD will completely displace uh, Interact. Okay. Okay. So like, like why would you use Interact if you could just have a wallet with Canadian dollars? Now, what's interesting here is, is, is understanding the implications of stable coins. And it's only year three, right? And we've gone from zero to $6 billion of stable coins in like, you know, a year or two years. Stable coins will by far be the biggest uh, uh, because that's digital currency. You know, there's, 
five trillion dollars a day traded at forex. If you yeah. start getting one percent of that trading digital forex, it goes crazy. But again, the Central Bank of Canada cannot create a stable coin because it takes the banks out of the picture. If the Central Bank of Canada is holding your Canadian dollars, what do you need Royal Bank for? Well, Royal Bank's not gonna let that happen and the government's not gonna let that happen. Whereas QCAD's deposits are held at uh, a number of Canadian chartered banks. So our Canadian digital Canadian dollar is, is held and, and, and guaranteed by deposits held at Canadian chartered banks. So it's up to the banks. The banks are very keen on using, having us get a billion dollars of QCAD because they want the billion dollars of deposits, yeah. which they'll lend out 10 times. In fact, they can lend it out infinity if, if they keep going with no reserve requirements like we have right now. So just another That's why you buy Bitcoin. Because <laughs> <laughs> when all that falls apart, your Bitcoin goes to $100,000. Just, just, uh, just another side of the financial services industry that uh, I don't think many of our listeners quite fully understand, right? At the end of the day is usually when people deposit their money in a bank, that, that bank is actually taking your money and using that uh, you know, as terms of leverage, trading derivatives on the back end in their capital markets division, right? So sure, they're uh, lending it to you in your mortgage. You're actually yeah, borrowing your own money. Yeah, you're yeah. borrowing your own money and paying them for it. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> what exactly. are they paying you? 0.5% on your deposit and lending it to you on your mortgage at three. Exactly. Well, there is a really uh, good business. <laughs> I'll give you your money back. <laughs> and people, and that's the thing, people love the financial system because they have, it's, it's somehow it developed a trust system that brings everybody in. They all give them the money and then they take their money, they leverage it out to make more money off of it. But that's why you buy stock in Royal Bank. They're paying you 5%. <laughs> exactly. They're going to pay exactly. you a 5% dividend tax advantage to seven exactly. and a half. I always tell people, I, I will never be the one to go to the bank and give them my money. But I will always be the one to buy and buy the stock. in the bank. But people care whether Royal Bank stock is 70 or 110 like it was. And you know what? Once they get over that concept that it doesn't matter whether Royal Bank stock is 70 or 110, you know, as long as their balance sheet is strong, you know, yeah. and I'll say that about the best banking sector in the world is in Canada and, and they will support us. I'll support QCAD. Canada has an opportunity to really lead here on the back of what we've created at 3IQ. There's no secret that we spent well over $4 million, $5 million getting this to the market to change the world and change Canada in terms of accepting our technologies. Uh, again, the entire case, uh, hearing and everything is a podcast in itself. So, so one of the other things too, and I think we're, we're also in an interesting time right now, right? We're seeing all this stimulus being poured into the economy. The Fed just pumped in about $5 trillion in the US economy. Canada's hit a record, I believe, of $112 billion of stimulus. Um, where is this, what are the consequences of this, right? And where, a lot of the questions that I've been getting and Nick and I've been getting, I'm sure you've been getting is like, isn't this the beginning of the end of fiat currency? And is this when Bitcoin comes in? Are we going too extreme here? Like, what, what do you think about that? Well, okay. The reality is, is we've had this discussion and argument in the 70s and the 80s and the <laughs> 90s and the 0s and the 010s, right? The reality is, is, um, <laughs> you know how old I am. Uh, it's your generation's problems. <laughs> <laughs> but it's funny because you're focused on our future because you're thinking 10 years down the line. It, it, exactly. All I know is it doesn't end well, and, <laughs> but it's probably not going to end well long, you know, probably when it's going to be your children's problem or, or my <laughs> grandchildren's problem, right? You know, I'm uh, about to be a grandfather now and I'm worried about, you know, that grandchild. So we've got Bitcoin that she's going to have. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, again, what, what people don't understand, and, and I think our, our point is, 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 is get off zero, right? You know, the chances that we're 100% wrong, okay, isn't 100%. 
So if we're 1% right, <laughs> we have the potential of being 1% right that this doesn't end well, well then you should have 1% in that one asset class that could potentially really work and save your bacon, right? So it eliminates you know, your, down, your full downside risk. If, your full, if the full downside risk is not existing, it, that, and that's not a plausible outcome, then you've eliminated the total fear that will, it might not exist, which it will. Yeah. It's, I believe it's an asset class to stay. Whether, whether our listeners or retail investors are necessarily going to believe in it for now, I do believe that it is one to stay because it is growing and people talk about it. And now, as you saw, you're about to get listed on the TSX, which is a nice big move. So I do believe, I, I do see the value in at least paying attention to the sector because there is a story that's growing and developing with this. Yeah, so a hoarding is an amazing thing, right? Like, or end in the movement. You know, we saw Bitcoin, it took how long to get to $100, $10, then $100, then $1,000, then to $10,000. And it went from, what, 5000 to 20000 in like six weeks, right? Like, that was ridiculous. It was, it was biggest, the, marijuana, the marijuana and the Bitcoin. Uh, yeah, two of the biggest shorts I've ever seen in my lifetime, right? And, and, I, and I've seen a lot of them, you know, uh, and those were the two biggest. And, again, shorting the stock market is kind of a stupid person's game, in my view, unless you're trading, obviously. Uh, you know, meaning you're not going to call the tops. You're not going to call the bottoms but everybody should have a good quality portfolio of stocks. Now, 1% in Bitcoin, you know, if you've got a $100,000 portfolio, you put, ten, you know, uh, uh, $1,000 in Bitcoin, you know, you lose $1,000, you know, what's that? But if Bitcoin goes up tenfold again, which it has from 10 to 100, from 100 to 1,000, from 1,000 to 10,000, from 10,000 to 100,000, so it goes up tenfold. It's absolutely saved, you know, a big chunk of your portfolio and added massive amounts uh, to your rates of return. And if it goes from 10,000 to 100,000 to a million, it changes people's lives. You know, one Bitcoin or $10,000 in your TFSA, if Bitcoin goes to a million, puts a million dollars of tax-free money into your TFSA. Yeah. If not, you lose $10,000 and it hasn't changed your life, but the million dollars tax-free on the upside changed your life. So, so, so millennials and the generation, that generation has to think about it. Um, you know, baby boomers, guys like me were too old to maybe see a million dollars on Bitcoin, but you know, Gen Xers don't buy into it yet. Schwab published their numbers in December and the fifth largest holding of millennials in the United States is GBTC, it's the Bitcoin fund. And, you know, 5% of Canadians own it. And the demographic, the OSC tried to argue that the demographic was mostly males between the ages of 25 and 40. And the, you know, the, uh, um, the transcripts will tell you that the, you know, um, you know, the, the, the commissioner, the, who is the judge of the case, you know, saying, and that demographic doesn't deserve the benefits of a regulated product, like what's your point, right? So it's like saying, oh yeah, yeah, males 25 to 40, they lose money, they don't deserve, you know, by fraudulent activity, they don't deserve it. So anyways, uh, you know, going, we're, we're going into the invest, investor stereotypes of, of the generations, right? <laughs> yeah. But it, even if it's, like you said, even if it's 1%, of your portfolio. You can completely hedge it by going 99% in extremely good companies that you know, that worst case scenario, you lost your 1%, you've been hedged. If that's yeah. really, the, if, if you're worried, you know, if you're really not yeah. worried. But if you own 1% of gold or 2% of gold, do you know when you bought it? Was gold 1100 and it's now 1300 or 1600 or do you care? Gold will no, be 3000, you know, in my, in, in my humble opinion, with the printing of money, and understand that sovereign wealth funds where people are, uh, again, the really, really smart people in the world, the really smart people running the trillions of dollars of sovereign wealth. And, yeah. and you know, they have to look for non-correlated hedges of which gold of is one. With all this money printing, there is no secret that it 
shows up in a bad place in inflation or something at some point in time or debt and debt servicing and debt servicing can only be paid off by economic growth. Have you ever, no one has ever seen the world put on a red light stop like we are in the middle of right now. And anyone yeah. who thinks that this bounce in the market is a buying opportunity, you are, you know, clearly misled because no one has no idea what minus 30% economic growth looks like in a quarter. It, it yeah. seems like the financial media is making it seem like, hey, like buying opportunity, do it, you know, long-term time horizon, this, that, that, you know, you had uh, Leon Cooperman, one of the most you know, famous hedge fund billionaires are on Wall Street come out and say, oh, I think we've seen the bottom already. Like you got to pay attention to that. I still, At, I still see more downside. Absolutely. Like the, 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 you, what you need to understand is that guy is probably on the other side of the trade waiting to pull out his position such that the little guy like us, little retail investors get screwed. Right. So no um, comment. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want, I don't want Leon knocking on my door. Or sending me a email, so. we, we, we like, we, we like every hedge fund that's out there and every yeah. hedge fund manager that's out there, but it's just an interesting phenomenon for sure. And yeah. I think, you know, like, Going forward, though, like where where is crypto going in the next ten years? Like, where do you think that we're heading right now, given all this fiasco? There, yeah. So there's different things. I think a lot of the projects of blockchain and um, you know the solutions that blockchain can present different companies um, is going to disappear for a long time, right? You know. Um, all money at all businesses at all government levels and everything else is going to go right back to getting back to where we were and understanding how hard it's going to get back to where we were. I don't think people have a grasp of that concept yet. They think that, Oh, Johnson Johnson is going to announce a vaccine, even though it's 2021 yeah, exactly. or, or or whatever that this thing is over with it's not over it's no. you know it's um you know the financial crisis in 2008 let me tell you when bear stearns went down in the summer of 2008 we just go bear freaking stearns has has gone down and we're going what are the possible massive repercussions of that and the market fell and then bounce right back up. And then Lehman Brothers goes down. <laughs> you go, wow. Lehman Brothers goes down? And people still went, oh, it's going to bounce back up. Well, it wasn't until March of the next year, five, six, six months later, nine months later, that we actually put in a bottom where everything was just stupid cheap and made an awful lot of sense and that quantity, QE one, two, and three and started to grab hold. Yeah. And then the US has just printed the shit out of money for 10 years. And that's yeah. why Bitcoin has been the best performing asset class in 10 years because the US has absolutely irresponsibly printed money for 10 years. And that will continue and Bitcoin will continue to uh, to prosper. So if that's your 45 minutes, I think <laughs> it's a great, a great sound bite to so, end on. So I, I think that's a great way to end. So just one last thing, where, where can our listeners find uh, the information on yeah. 3IQ Fund? I think that's what they really want to know. Obviously, we have a lot of risk takers in our, in our audience here. Yeah, first of all, just go to 3IQ.ca. We have one of the coolest weekly blogs, Connor Lowen punches out the five coolest things on crypto in Canada uh, for the last week. You can follow our fund there. You can do everything. So ThreeIQ.ca, sign up for our newsletter and, uh, you know, you'll, you'll be all good. And congratulations, guys. Um, I think you're on a great path and I hope this all works out for you. Thank you. Fred, we really, it. yeah, we really appreciate you taking the time. And I think, you know, this is, what our podcast is about it's about what you're you've been doing for the last you know your career your, 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 your entire career, career. <laughs> 40 years <laughs> 40 years <laughs> you're you're a seat you're a seasoned veteran that's yeah. i think yeah, i think that's, you, I think that's the best way to put it <laughs> becoming an og I'm, I'm an honorary og because they said 2015 was close 
I was pushing it, but uh, there's more stories where that come from. Anytime you want some good stories, you give me a call. We'll go all through. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. Thanks Thank a lot, guys. Take Brad, care. Thank you so take much. care. Take Cheers. care. Bye.